Hello and welcome to another episode of the Sporting Minds UK podcast with, as always, myself, the host, Ollie Westbury. I'm once again joined by Ben Tuig. Um, we come with another episode of the podcast today. Twiggy, how are you, mate? How have you been? Yeah, good, thanks, Wes. How are you? Yeah, I'm all right, mate. What you been up to? What you been doing? Oh, just a bit of this and that, coaching, painting, just the usual, nothing major. Uh, I've got to say, up very early for this uh, special episode of the podcast today. Um, we are absolutely delighted to be to be joined as a as our first ever guest on the Sporting Minds UK podcast uh, by Tom Kohler Cadmore, uh, the Yorkshire and England Lions bats, batsman. So, Tom, um, we know you as Pepsi, so we'll probably end up referring to you as Pepsi. But we're absolutely delighted that you're here with us today um, to answer some of our questions. Um, how are you, mate? Yeah, I'm uh, very good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good, mate. I'm good. Um, I know that you are you're traveling um, to an away game today, so we'll try and keep this um, as brief as we can uh, and as formative, hopefully, for the listeners as we can. Obviously, myself and Twig have known you for for quite a long time. Um, obviously, we, sadly, we're not playing cricket with you anymore, but it's nice to see you doing really well. Um, just with regards to, I think thank I'll you. I'll. I'll start us off um, with um, the first question, I think. Um, I think me and Twiggy, we, we, we had a phone call, a little business meeting, and we discussed at length, length what we kind of wanted to talk to you about. Um, and something that we think that most athletes go through, uh, something that you would have gone through at quite a young age, where you kind of uprooted yourself um, from up north and came to Morven College when you moved to Worcester. We just wanted to know, like... Obviously, Twiggy did that as well, so he will have uh, be able to put some input. But we just wanted to know how that that affected you, whether that was tough, uh, moving away from your family, moving away from home, probably your comfort zone, or how did you cope with that? And yeah, uh, so really, it was quite a strange um, experience for me because I had like I knew private schools existed, um, but I didn't like in my mind they were never ever going to be an option um so I was always kind of like I was playing that summer and I was talking to some of the lads who went to Sedba in our team and I was like oh I'd love to go to private school like um and they kind of were like oh why don't you kind of probably a little bit naively not understanding that everyone can't afford the private schools and stuff like that um and then I ended up kind of getting scouted and but then I only found out a week or I found out on the Tuesday that I was actually going to the school and school started on the Sunday so for me there wasn't any preparation time to think about it it was kind of I do want to go so I'm going and then when I got there it was just it was like a very strange experience the first kind of couple weeks or so just getting like the amount of trouble I got into for probably even my first year from just being like probably the different backgrounds of private school to state school I felt like I was being really well behaved but because I wouldn't always do my homework or I wouldn't kind of have similar kind of manners and the way the private school was kind of set up 
but it did take me a little bit of time to get kind of used to that and yeah. but for me I've like I loved every minute of the private at Melbourne College and I think it's actually probably the best thing my best ever decision that I've made was to actually go there because I felt that if I stayed at my state school I wouldn't have achieved any grades like I think my cricket would have been my cricket and it would have taken me wherever it would have taken me but the grades I got at Malvern allowed me actually to potentially go to university if I wanted to. And I know mm. for a hundred percent that if I was at my state school, I wouldn't have had a chance at going to uni. No. And to be honest, Pets, when I met you, you were nothing like what anyone had ever said about you, to be honest. Because I like you've alluded to in your first few years, you're obviously well, your first year per se you were getting into trouble a little bit um, and when I met you you were really confident my mum and dad were like this this man is immaculate like we need to send you here if you're going to turn out like Tom um, but did you in your first year when you're obviously getting into trouble and you were finding it hard how did that affect you did you try and change or did you stick to your guns and be who you are or what was that like when you were getting into trouble and you're away from home did that affect you mentally or not uh, I found I found when you were getting in trouble, it was kind of, it just got to the point where it was like, and it wasn't, I wasn't like naughty, naughty. I was just doing stupid stuff that would kind of obviously get me in trouble. Um, more like messing around in class and being an idiot. But when there's small classes, you were always like, they were always staring at you going, like, and they would always know it's you. Um, yeah. And at that point I had, I was, I think, one of the only Yorkshiremen in the school. So I had, a slot, like, my accent was a lot stronger than everyone else's at the school. So I stood out like a sore thumb. Um, yeah. But I kind of just gradually, the more telling off you got, you were just like, well, I don't want to spend my Saturday night in detention or I don't want to keep getting, like, your housemaster just pestering you, saying, come on, just, like, behave a little bit more. So I gradually... Yeah, yeah just started to tone it down and I also learned probably which teachers you can do it with and which teachers you couldn't yeah. so most of the time it was me just having a laugh having a bit of banter and as you know at like that school that some teachers absolutely would be fully involved and enjoy having a, like a joke and a laugh and then mm. others would hate it and it might be because I think I was the first sports scholar there and yeah. a lot, well, full scholar and a lot of the academics of the teachers and stuff, I found that I struggled with them all the way through, even to upper sixth where I'd have big clashes with them because I felt like they always demanded loads of respect, but never would give any respect back to people unless they were really good in their fields. So yeah. unless you were a really good mathematician, they didn't respect you. Yeah. Um, and for me, that was something I struggled with there was actually I always wanted to treat people how I'd like to be treated. And if someone wasn't giving me respect for not, I didn't feel like I demanded like, oh, you should. But I feel like there should be just being nice to a human because they're a human. Whereas I just felt like they were very much oh, uh, he's not, like, all he does is play sport and would always, like, and it's probably just because we didn't see eye to eye or we didn't, like, I probably at that age 
was a bit naive and didn't understand how serious other things were. Mm. Um, but yeah, it was very kind of, it was like trying to toe the line a bit and learn who I could get on with, who I could have a laugh with, mm. and then other teachers just to get my head down and just like ignore, like just kind of get through that class. Yeah. Would you say, Twig, that you had kind of a very different experience to that when you moved away from home and obviously as all, all, all at that time aspiring professional cricketers, all athletes all across the country have to move around to try and achieve their dreams yourself, you you moved. Would you say it's fair to say that you had a different experience with it when you first moved away? I think so. I think mine was, if I Tom probably about this, probably pretty opposite to start, I'd, um, I enjoyed my time at school. I met some great mates and like same as Tom, I've got a good education that I wouldn't have got. Um, it's probably not even the right vocabulary. So that's probably something that educational. Um, but yeah, I, I found it a lot harder, I think, um, to start with, but I was the same as Tom, I did get a lot of flack for being Northern. I'm still very Northern anyway, um, but I was, a bit more internal in terms of I would probably go back to my room and you know have a little cry and think I don't know what I'm doing here whereas I don't know if you ever thought felt like that Tom that you got back to your room and thought what what's happening why am I here or was it always pretty you had your goal in in mind of what why you were there and you wanted to go to private school like you said um that was never really a thing for me I didn't actually know that they existed yeah no for me it was always I always wanted to be there. There are a couple of times in the first couple of weeks where I was like, like I'm in an R in the tiniest bit, but as soon as I kind of actually properly settled in, um, for me, it was quite like, it was a lot easier. And I also yeah. like with your situation, when you first joined, obviously you weren't living in school. No. Which may, for me, like thinking about it would have made it so much harder because you go in, to someone like when you're at school I found that I had 60 kids in my house who were all in this on the same boat of we're staying at school yeah away from everything and you can have a good laugh in the evenings um you would do stupid stuff you would like you would always be busy so yeah. I felt like there wasn't much time to miss or much time um to do like you were always kind of busy doing something that it meant that you weren't kind of sat there thinking oh, I wonder what my mates back home are doing or yeah, anything yeah, like that but I'm, I know for you you were staying um, at a friend's house yeah where you would then go home and you'd you wouldn't be at school till 10 o'clock at every night or whatever when everyone else would be then going to bed you would be at home a lot earlier so then you are sat there thinking like yeah, you're in I a, could be doing it, this at home. Yeah, yeah, you're in a red. Like you're not staying at school, so you're not having the same laugh that everyone else had. Yeah. Um. And then, like, I don't know if it was something like that for you, but when you then started boarding later on, did you enjoy that more than when you were like staying at the friend's house? Yeah, I think so. I definitely did because I I got my best mate, one of my best mates on earth. I still. I talk to most days now that I lived with, you know, like, you know, and gets that opportunity to live with your best mate when you're 15, 16, 17. And I think probably towards the end, I just grew out of school. Like 
and I'd love to go back for a day now, but at that time, you're, once you're done, you're done and you're a bit older and you can make that decision. But yeah, when I did start boarding more, it was, I found it easier, definitely easier. But then at the same time, you'll probably be the opposite again, Peps, when you started, when you were playing cricket and you, you wanted it more and you were training like an athlete to an elite level. I found that too much then. I needed that time to go back to a friend's house in inverted commas to get away from it. Yeah. Because it was so, like so immersive and I was just, yeah, I got overwhelmed quite easily in that sense. It's, um, it's all great stuff. It's an absolute, it's, it's a, it's a great conversation for us to be having. Cause like I've mentioned before that there's so many athletes that have to push themselves out of that comfort zone to do this. So your, your two experiences of, 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 of having to uproot your lives are, are, are absolutely fascinating. Hopefully for people to listen to, um, Twig, we discussed earlier, didn't we? And I know you wanted to ask Pepsi a question about him being a really confident guy um, with regards to like his, his on-field performances and his persona, um, whether he's, he's failed or not. Do you, do you want to crack on with that? Yeah, yeah. And like, we're probably just probably going to get to that anyway when we're talking about at school, Tom. Like, because you were there and so I was there and Zen and people like that, that we knew we were there to play cricket at the end of the day that's why we're there we're not academic scholars did you one did you find the pressure hard did it ever get to you um and then when you weren't performing what did that feel like inside where you always because externally you're quite a vibrant confident person and you wear red, red tracksuit bottoms and Nike Air Jordans and it's a bit like you're confident aren't you and yeah. was it always like that inside or because you never showed that yeah, no, I, I've always, even now, I find it actually really easy to believe in myself, um, which is obviously very, like, I've always, when I was younger, I always assumed that everyone would be like, yeah, I'm, I'm the best player here. Um, I'm going to be the lead and run scorer today um, and have that kind of mindset. It's mm -hmm. only as I've got older that I've realised people do have a different mindset and people do have um that different confidence thing of when they go into a game or meeting new people or into a different team environment that it takes them a couple games to settle in or it takes yeah, yeah. them a little bit or they when they're playing um they need a longer time to belong and go oh, i am good enough for this level um but for me i've always it's probably a strength and a downfall of mine is that i believe in myself that much that I might think that I'm better than I am sometimes, or I yeah. think I should be like, so I probably overthink and go, oh, I want to play for England. I want to do this. I want to do that instead of potentially living more in the now. And I've started doing it more. So recently where I just enjoy the moment and enjoy wherever I'm at. So now, where do you think that comes from though? Where, where do you think you got that self-belief from? Was it, is it Big Mick? Yeah. I, my mum and dad, I reckon are massive for me. Um, but it was probably when I would, when I was younger, before um, going to Malvern, I would always go to the nets with my dad. Mm. And a big saying he said was, "The harder I train, the luckier I get." So there would always be kind of, but it was always on my terms of if I'd go up to the nets or not. Um, and I'd go same like my brother would have the same options to come up with me. And a lot of the time, it would just be me going up there to practice. Yes, yeah. I remember there'd be a time where 
it would be snowing or it just snowed and we scraped away the nets like the, all the snow off the nets up at Hornsey and I was then batting like while it was freezing cold my dad's throwing me balls and I was training and I always had the belief of well I am good enough um, to play and I've always been I felt lucky enough that whenever I've stepped up a standard I've not stood there and gone oh my god this is too quick or oh my god this person well like I've never had that feeling in my head of complete kind of I shouldn't be here yeah and when I started at school as well I was probably lucky because I was the first one that I was going into a team where yeah yeah I had the pressure of going in to perform because I'm a cricket scholar but there wasn't anyone at the school on Worcester Academy apart from me at that point so technically if you're looking at it kind of like status I'd have been the highest profile player at the school yeah so a lot of people were then looking at me to do well but when I was looking around my peers I wasn't kind of looking at them going oh my god they're amazing they're so much better than me or we had like we did have some very good cricketers um I don't know if you can remember Odge was he in your like no but I've played with him since yeah um, but he would absolutely belt the ball and he was a ridiculous talent. So there was kind of me and him as the main batters. But when I first started, I was opening the bowling, keeping after my spell and then batting free. So, and yeah. then the longer... <laughs> all-rounder. Yeah. All-rounder. Yeah. Um, so then as it got on like as the more school years went on I then became just the batter and bowled a bit which then actually made it a bit easier for me but it was always for me I always had the ambition when I went to the school to become a professional cricketer and I then just trained and I found if I trained and did my work away from the matches then the matches took care of themselves yeah yeah I think we've re- we've referenced before your your confidence. I can remember your first first class innings when um, when you charged down down the wicket. At, I think it was at the Rose Bowl. Um, I remember that um, and and tried to smash it. Um, at any point when you've got a run of low scores, because obviously all batters have them. Does does the self doubt creep in at all at some point? And if that self doubt comes in. How do you potentially overcome it? I can remember seeing a, an interview with Steve Smith where he was talking about batting and suggesting that anytime any form of negative thoughts come into his head, he just pushes them out. Um, how do you cope with that? I've always... So I started my career, obviously, like you said there, I got a two-on debut trying to hit my third ball for six. Um, and then after that, I then averaged seven for seven games. So wasn't the most ideal start to my first class career. And for me, I think the good thing was I knew I could do second team cricket. And at that point, I did have a slight technical flaw where I was just stepping across the stumps and getting LBW. So the ball was hitting me in the leg. Um, And I was batting and it was horrendous because I was standing there going, like they bowl three away swingers and then they bowl the wobble seamer that just goes straight to people who don't understand cricket. And I'd be standing there going, 
right, this one's going to be straight, Tom. This one's going to be straight. Make sure you protect the straight wall. He's going to bowl a straight one here. And sure enough, he bowled a straight one. And sure enough, it hit me in the middle of the shin. And I'd walk off and I'd go, I knew it was happening. Like, And it was actually quite a hard place to be in because as a team, we were winning. I think we won six out of seven games or something. Like we got off to a flyer of the season. And that's actually probably what kept me in the team for so long was that we were winning and I remember there were times where I would we'd win the game by lunchtime day what uh, day four and then I'd be trying to go for a net at about two three o'clock afterwards just to keep trying to work on this issue that I had mm. um, so everyone else is there celebrating the win and I was just so focused on myself to get better that it actually didn't help and then it just made everything so much worse when you were like because I'd then I'd get out and then you'd have that pure disappointment of once you're out again you just sat there going oh my god like I've not scored a run you've got you've got LBW again what the like and then you go to the nets again and work on it and work on it and it just got to a point where I ended up getting dropped and there was no disappointment when I was left out it was pure kind of relief Mm. which probably seems like a weird thing. But when you're struggling and you're clearly, you've got an issue that you're there going, oh my God, like, and then I went to the twos and I think I scored a hundred the week after or two weeks after and then got back into the team. But it was great because I knew what I was doing. Like I got back into a rhythm of scoring runs and being able to bat and worked out that issue. And then when I went back into the team, I become set. Like I think I averaged thirty-five for the rest, like for the rest of those games. Which, yeah. if you did that over the season in your first year, you'd be very happy with. Yeah. Um, but yeah, for me, it was just the hardest thing was probably working too hard in that situation when you are struggling, instead of taking a step back and getting away from cricket. And that was yeah. my biggest learning in that period of my life was actually because at school cricket was be all, like not be on end all, but I always would just train and train and train. And at school, I was lucky in terms of I was successful at school. So mm. the standard obviously wasn't as good as pro cricket. So I was kind of consistently, if I failed one game, I'd probably score in the next game. Yeah. Um, and I'd score more regularly than I'd fail. So then coming into an environment where I'd fail all the time meant actually you can't just focus on cricket. You need to get other hobbies. You need to get other things for being able to, like when you are struggling, you're not sat at home then thinking, how am I going to stop shinning the ball? Like, how can I? <laughs> I still think about that now. Yeah. You were saying that before you came on the Zoom call, Peps, that, uh, when we watch these videos of people playing and they get hit on the shin and Twiggy said, I do not miss that one bit. Um, I don't miss it at all. Yeah. But with that, with that, Peps, um, <laughs> to back to not shinning it, um, your support network, is it, is it big, small? Is it important to you? Are, you? are you very much internal in dealing with your problems or do you have a few people that you would go to more often than not? Um, mainly my mum and my dad, um, especially during that time. Uh, but majority of the time, 
I like to work things out myself and I try and do things logically. Yeah. Um, but I always think talking about stuff. So at that time when I got dropped, I spoke a lot with Kevin Sharp and he literally, when I went to the twos, um, there was Damien Dolivera there as well. Um, yeah. Actually, I believe that time was Damien Dolivera. Um, and I was struggling and he'd just laugh at me but not in a bad way, in a brilliant way that we would laugh about the struggles and we'd enjoy, embrace that that's going to happen in cricket yeah. and sport. And then never, ever felt. And then it kind of, the way both of those acted, they just installed confidence into you again. So yeah, you're struggling or whatever, but it's fine. It will change. And it's not the you, end of the world. Yeah. And they've seen that they, Damien and Sharpie would have been there and seen that with I don't know how many cricketers where they've not scored a run or they've struggled for a time and um, like we had I like probably one of my darkest times in cricket was um, before that me and George Rhodes we were living together at the time and between us we had nine noughts in a row <laughs> That's quite, um, that's quite impressive <laughs> and Dolly would just take take the mick out of us and not in a bad way but it would make you feel so much more relaxed and so yeah. much more at ease that yeah. yeah you are like you know yourself that you're failing and you're struggling yeah. and you're not scoring a run so if there's some more external pressure on you it never helps in those situations what you need like what Dolly did so well and Sharpie did so well like whenever I struggle now, I just do what Kev does and I just start laughing, going, <laughs> the good Lord's testing you, which you yeah. both would have heard. You both would have yeah, heard yeah, that from yeah. him. Yeah, of and, course. And like, for me, it just takes it back off yourself and just going, well, it's sport. I'm going to fail. I don't want to fail and I'm doing everything I possibly can't to not fail, but I'm not going to sit at home and let it beat me up and I'm not going <clears> to, <throat> sorry, um, and I'm not going to let it change who I am or whatever it is. It's just all about, for me, then going, well, next game, I'm going to score 100. Next game, I'm going to yeah, be the match winner. And it's that real positive attitude of always trying to think positively. Yeah, because like at the end of the day, if you're not there, in my opinion, everyone wants to win the game for your team. So... And I know that the best players in the world will win their game probably one every four games or something. So, yeah. like, if you if you work on that, for me, it's quite easy to then understand that, well, I am going to struggle. So, like, I'm not going to win every game. I want to win every game. But if I can win one every four, one every five, one every six, I'm going to be a decent player. Yeah. And then... That for me is where I get my confidence from. Is going well. People are people always fail, but it's what you do when you win and when you perform, and that's what I try and base myself on. Isn't like my end of season stats. It's how many games this year have I contributed to the win, and yeah. then if I've won three games for the team in say four day cricket where there's fourteen games, you'd be like, yeah, you've had a good year. Yeah, Instead of going where if you're thinking just runs like currently this year I'm having a stinker and <laughs> but I know that if I play score like 
because it can all change in one game. I could score a double hundred this week and a hundred in the second innings and people go, oh, he's not actually having a beer now. Like, of course. So there's that thing for me of, well, most important game is actually tomorrow. How can I influence that game? Can I be the match winner? And then, and that can also be in other different ways of not necessarily your runs, like your fielding, your, what you're giving into the team. And yeah, obviously you, you're judged on your runs as a batter, but it's not all about myself. It's about winning the game. And Definitely. if I am failing, well, I want to make sure I'm catching them all at slip because that helps just as much as a win as me scoring runs. Yeah, of yeah. course. Sure. <laughs> um, something that we wanted, we discussed and we wanted to touch on with you, Peps, was the circumstances um, around when you left Worcester. Um, obviously, that must have been a, a very difficult decision um, to, to leave. But obviously, the circumstances when it happened, with obviously your dad being working at the ground and then Worcester saying that you'd no longer be selected, um, and then you move into Yorkshire on loan. Um, that must have been quite. I can remember when we went out for some food with you. That must have been, that must have been a, a tough, a tough moment. Yeah, for me, it was so hard to take. Um, and I know people are probably thinking they'll go, "How was it hard to take? You wanted to leave." And but for me, I absolutely love and adore Worcester, and I still kind of every game they play, I'm checking, I'm messaging the lads like go uh, like well done if they, like when they do well mm. stay in regular contact with um can we get a, a lot of people down there yeah um yeah pretty much can i go get a burger with you yeah <laughs> you never messaged me yeah oh yeah i don't like you yeah that's fair um no so we always like so when i left my my dad said to me as well he said when you make a decision on what you're going to do make sure you tell the club as soon as you have to then allow the club to like make a this like so if they then feel oh we need to sign like try and sign another batter to replace you um or whether like whatever it's going to be they can make a decision so they've got longer to prepare for next year when I'm not going to be there so as soon as I made my decision which I was 100% sure on happy with um, and knew it was the right, well, I felt it was the right thing for me. Um, I went in and told them and obviously got told, well, you're never going to play again for the club. Um, and those three weeks where I was told I'm not going to play, I can't play in the twos. And I'm just going to sit around for like, I think it was June, early June, I told the club maybe. So it was kind of a, most of the season was left that, I was in a position where, well, I've tried to be a good guy and give the club as long as possible. And then it's just blown up in my face. And I'm just sitting around at Worcester, just not really knowing what's happening day to day, just milling around, trying to do a little bit of gym, but then ended up going out for food a lot of the time with <laughs> like people saying, like, just making sure that I saw all my friends in Worcester before I actually moved. Mm. Um and that was a really hard thing to take for me because at the time the team were doing well. Um, we were in a one day semi-final at home and I think it was our first one in ages. So I was kind of, and I was a key part of the team in the white ball stuff. 
So I was really looking forward to that game, hoping to get us hopefully to a final at Lords and everything. And then I was having a decent year to the point with the club as well. So I was thinking, right, finish strong. And when you love when you love the club like I did, you always don't want to finish on a bad note. So when I was going through all these things, it affects your sleep, it affects kind of and you just I knew it was the right thing for me, but it was then hard to kind of leave on those terms. But luckily, it's kind of, I don't feel like there's anything bad at the club now. Whenever I go back, everyone's really welcoming, um, besides a couple of fans on my first visit back. Um, but everything, but that's understandable, that sport. And if it wasn't like that, I'd be questioning it a little bit. Yeah. But everyone to me there now, is brilliant with me and I only have fond memories of Worcester which is nice yeah that's that's great stuff that's brilliant um Twig I know you wanted to touch on something very similar to this um with regards to obviously what it was like to move to Yorkshire and uh, we talked about that um didn't we Twig so do you want to crack yeah, on with yeah. that um, yeah, I was wondering what you were going to say then, because I was like, I'm so lost on what you're actually asking me. Was, yeah, but I do have a question, Tom. So you're technically a Yorkshireman. You are, right? You're born in, born in Hull or were you born in Kent? I was born in Kent. Born in Kent, moved to Holland at a young, at a young age. Yeah. Um, what, what was that like going back to pretty much your home um, with the White Rose? And playing with some big players and at Headingley, and I know I, when I was a kid, it was, I want to play at Headingley. Like, that was my dream. I, I was probably closer to Leeds than you were, but it was only down the road for me. But that was my dream. Was was that surreal or? Uh, yeah, it wasn't a way of, you walking. I think the first squad I was in, there was something like 10 internationals or, or nine internationals and a Lions player and then me in it. Mm. So you're looking around going, oh my God, like the amount of talent we had, the amount, well, not even talent, the amount of players that have been there, done it, got, well, like we had World Cup winners in the like T20 stuff. Other guys now who have later won a World, um, a World Cup, Ashes winners, like you name it, there are people in that in that dressing room who you would bite your like their hand off to have their career they are that good yeah so going in there it was kind of a little bit strange a little bit kind of bloody hell these are like gun cricketers and then when you mix in with them put train against them like face them in the nets for me again it just bred more confidence because you could pick them or you could play against them you could hit them for boundaries you could hit like so it made, for me, again, it made it more like it was the whole reason I moved to Yorkshire was to be playing with these players, to be yeah. learning from them, to hopefully play alongside, like playing alongside them and doing well. If you're standing out in that team, you're obviously doing very well. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it was strange. And the move itself was actually really hard the first year for me because... I was living at home, which is an hour and a half away. Yeah. And I'm used to, in Worcester, I lived as close to the ground as possible. Now I lived as, like, now again, I live as close to the ground as possible. That 
I was used to at the end of a game at Worcester going out for food with the lads or um, walking home, yeah, yeah, walking home, having a laugh, like and living with a couple of players as well. So it was always kind of you were there, you were around, um, you were with your mates. Whereas when I was playing for Yorkshire in the first summer, I was driving an hour and a half home after every game. Um, and then I was there kind of missing actually the Worcester environment because of mm. how much, how close the lads are. Whereas in Yorkshire, the demographic's different where people live all over Yorkshire. Yeah. So we've got Adam Live. He lives in Whitby, which is about an hour and a half, two hours away. Yes, yeah, um, it's, it's just as Scotland. Yeah, just as an example. <laughs> and then you've got other people who would be 40 minutes the other side of Leeds or people in York. So there were a lot of people would drive into the ground and have their social circles away from cricket. Yeah. And for me, that was something that was really strange to start off with because at Worcester, you both know that your social circle at Worcester is majority players. And then you mm. might have a couple of friends outside of that. Um, yeah. so when you then go into a different environment, it was quite a shock to my system, but then I had to make myself think, well, I'm not here to be like, I'm not, if I wanted that environment, I'll like, I'll go back to Worcester. You've yeah. got to like, I'm not going to get that environment here. So, but then once I moved into Leeds, I actually found it a lot easier because then I started having like, I've made friends away from cricket. So now I have kind of different social circles, which again has probably helped my cricket that your friends now aren't there going, oh, how's your cricket going in terms of, yeah. or you're not sat there talking about cricket all the time. They have different lives that you talk about and you do different things instead of just purely cricket-based yeah. conversations or whatever it is. And you've got that outlet away from cricket, which is nice when you're obviously going in there to there trying to be the best that you can be and having that not pressure on yourself but an intensity in your work that you can actually go away and and really enjoy your time so you can enjoy your cricket yeah yeah absolutely did you find that the the intensity and the pressure changed in training when you were there or um did they train differently to how you'd trained at Worcester did you find that hard was it something that you could adapt to quite quickly or uh yeah it's it's just learning different coaches and learning different environments because the way you always think that every team does it the same I feel yeah. like and in a lot of ways it is similar but then there are different aspects that each team pride themselves on or um the work the work rate of different teams in different areas are greater. Um, and I know at Yorkshire, the main skills of the batting and the bowling were really like um, in the nets, you're facing people like Tim Bresnan, Liam Plunkett, Ryan Sidebottom, Adil Rashid, Jack Brooks, like Ben Cook. You were facing absolute county guns, if not international guns, that it just improved your batting because if yeah. not, like you would just struggle you had to be good enough to face it and it was pulling your standard up when you'd face them in the nets to make you a much better player yeah um and then when you talk to them uh and you could take their experiences like 
being lucky enough to share a dressing room like Tim Bresden, who's won World Cups and um, the Ashes Down Under. Mm. You don't, like, not many English people have ever won down there. So, like, being able to learn from these people, you're there. And the standard that they've trained at to get to international cricket, like, you see it when Rooty comes back. His workload, same with Johnny, like, the way they train, actually, you learn a lot from that. Yeah. And you pick up from their mindsets and talking to them about all different things, not just cricket. And you see, you actually look at them and you go, well, that's why you're successful. Yeah. It's not, it's not actually because they're, obviously they are ridiculously talented, but it's yeah, not their, it's, it's not the way they bat or anything. It's more, it's all their mindset. It's the way yeah. they are mentally kind of wired up to the way they play the way they train, the way they think about the game is actually the reason why they're successful, not necessarily their technique. Obviously, their techniques are very good, but yeah. it's not like, for me, it's not the be-all and end-all your technique. It's more your mental side and how you approach each game and how you find the way to be successful when you're struggling. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah that's that's very... Right. Sounds great, to be honest. Yeah, that's, uh, that's pretty. Yeah, fancy a game for Yorkshire. Yeah, okay. yeah. We, we can go and get our pads blown off at Yorkshire. Yeah, yeah we can. You got a fault. <laughs> we won't get in that, mate. <laughs> no, we won't. Um, so, just something else that we wanted to talk to you about. Um, I know you mentioned this one when, when I did um, speak to your peps. Um, obviously, as a as an athlete, you're going to get left out of sides. Um, and you've been left out of sides as a young pro and as potentially as a senior player. Um, and we just wanted to know how at times that's made you feel, how you've overcome at that. And also a bit of a follow-up to that question is how do you think the communication makes you like impacts that? So for example, if it's, I don't know, said to you in a good way, or, you know, if you feel like you get some really good feedback and they make you feel really valued and part of the squad, it doesn't sound like you're somebody who really needs to be made feel valued because you're such, such a positive thinker anyway. But, you know, does that influence um, what it's like to be dropped? Uh, for me, yeah, obviously being left out is never nice. And I've never been left out and gone, oh, that's great or but there's a couple of times when I have been left out that stand out the most to me is when I've, when I was younger, especially I'd try and play not my brand of cricket. So I would try and impress the coach. So I would be, and by impress the coach, I'd be trying to do what the coach wants me to play like. So, um, because I'm quite an aggressive player when I was starting out, it was, no, we want you to dig in. We want you to play properly we want you to kind of graft and scrap through it and you both know that's not the style of player I am I'm more aggressive counter-attacking put pressure on them mm. the bowler if they bowl me a bad ball I'm gonna belt it where they wanted me to kind of build an innings and bat for six hours and be a hundred not out at the end of it and cut and clip the ball where it, most people know that the clip shot is one of my weaker shots whereas a drive's a big shot of mine and they would want me to put it away um and I ended up getting left out after two games of like struggling and from that point on I just went you know what I'm gonna bat 
exactly how I want to bat because if I'm going to be left out, I want to be left out on my terms. And that was probably a big part of my career is going like people don't care. When you're in professional sport, people do not care how you get the job done. They just want you to be successful and the team to be successful. So if I decided tomorrow to bat left-handed, that would be fine if I averaged 50 for the rest of the year. Like people wouldn't go, oh, why have you done that? But as soon as you start failing, mm. it will always be like you'll get left out, you'll get questioned, you'll get whatever. So for me, it's always about performance and making sure you and for me, the best way for me to perform is to play myself and be me and not think, oh, the coach wants me to do this. So it for me, that was where I learned my biggest lesson is going, no, do exactly what I want to do because I know what I'm doing. I feel is right for the team anyway. Yeah. And then I found after that, that when I've been left out, I've always managed to deal with it better because I've gone, well, yeah, you just weren't good enough. Like you need to go back and get better. You need to go and continue getting your method better and improving that way and keep adapting. But I'm playing my style of cricket and the brand that I want to play. So then it means once you are playing your brand of cricket, you walk out a lot more confidently than when you're trying to do something that you're not. It makes it so much harder. So then you're fighting yourself because you're taking away your natural ability and the natural way you play. And then because you're doing that, you're probably not that happy when you're out there and you're really fighting yourself to stop that. And then you're not scoring runs it adds it all together. Whereas at mm. least I feel if you go out playing the way you want to play, I feel like I can hold my hands up and I'm more than happy to go, well, yeah, sorry, that wasn't good enough. And I take that on the chin and I try my best. And yes. that's that's the way for me when I've been, when I got left out, like it made me then reassess my career and go, well, no, I need to do this now to make sure that when I am playing, I am successful and how am I successful is by being me. Yeah. Yeah, that's... Um... I, think, I think that's... It's, it's difficult, isn't it? Because as a, as a batter, you can... You can get left out of sides because they want to play an extra bowler or vice versa, you, you're in and you're not playing well because they want to play an extra batter or as a spinner, it's not the wicket for you to be on. And that's when it's it's hard to be left out. And have you had any any moments where you've been left out and you've been playing at your best and you've been scoring well and it, the situation's not suited you to play? And how have you handled that? Because that's when it's hard, at its hardest, what I've found anyway. Yeah, I, I had a early game at Worcester where I found out I wasn't, well, I just found out I wasn't playing in the squad. I didn't get told. I just yeah, yeah. saw the text. I saw the text come out of the team, of the squad, and I wasn't in it. Um, and the night before or two nights before in the T20, I scored 30 off 10 or 11 balls. Mm. Um, it was my after my second game. Um, and the communication was atrocious and mm. 
I tried like the way I found the reason I found out why I was dropped was from the S and C. Nice. Like, and for me that I'm, I always think with when leaving someone out, when give them for me anyway, is the way I'd like to receive it is a brutally honest conversation of just giving me the exact reasons because then I can go away and I can get better and I can work on that reason. And then I know, well, I'm not there questioning everything about my game. I'm then going, well, this is the area I need to improve. Great. Mm. Or, um, and I found out it was my fielding that meant I was left out. Mm. So, and then two day, two games later or something, I was back in and all of a sudden I was a great fielder again. Yeah. And like for me, that's where I just felt like I need to be like with it all. I just want communication of if if you're gonna leave me out, I don't want to be left out and I hate it. But if you're honest with me and the reason why, then like, yeah, it's still gonna hurt and yeah, I might be a bit grumpy or I might sulk for the tiniest amount of time but I know for a fact I will then get get myself up and I will then go right sort it out go and play um, and then I'll be in a position where you actually improve from the situation and not wondering what is yeah. it like and then you start questioning loads of different parts of your game you change loads of things to try and get better and improve but it was none of that and yeah. it was a simple thing and the communication to me when I've been a captain um, and you're leaving people out, which is the hardest part of the job and of the game. But I feel like I try and be as honest as I can and be as open as I can. And sometimes it is, it's a 50, 50 call and we've decided mm-hmm. to go with the extra batter or the extra spinner today. But I feel if you are honest with them in all the other times, they actually then don't take being left out to heart. Yeah. And you, like, if you know that I'm going to say I was captain you twig and I said, oh, mate, we're going to go with the extra seamer today because we think it's a seaming pitch. You would then go, oh, okay, yeah. Like, very frustrated for you, but you'd go, I understand that. Yeah. But then if I go and tell someone else that, oh, yeah, he's just not bowling very well at the minute. So we felt like we couldn't back him yeah well then I'd rather you tell me that I'm not yeah. lying very well so I can go practice harder yeah and like whereas if it's oh we're going with the extra seamer today because it's like we said the green seamer and um but don't worry as soon as we feel like it's a normal pitch or a spinning pitch you're straight back in it will actually leave you going oh yeah well I'm, I'm frustrated I'm not playing today but I understand and I know they've got the confidence in me that once it's sort of like, once it is a pitch that's in favour of you, you're going to be straight in the team. Yeah, yeah. And you're not questioning. And for me, that's the most important thing. And when I receive a message, why I'm not playing, all I want is for them to say, yeah, like you need to improve this. Mm. Or it's, well, you've not been performing well enough. So we're going to give this other guy a go. And then you go, right, well, what what do I need to... Where, where are the areas you feel I need to improve? Yeah. But I also think those messages should come sooner before yeah. you're left out the team. Definitely. We were talking the other day. you're well we're... within your rights. So as just to yeah. put on that, you're well within your rights as a player to ask them kind of questions. I feel like 
especially as a younger player or a more a less inexperienced player would not ask the questions and then that's when you're younger and you've not got as much confidence in your ability so then you would change things but you're well within your rights to ask why what are the areas i need to improve on because that's it's your game and you've got to, you've got to manage that and they'll they'll be the first people to tell you that you're left out and why or why not so you still got to ask that as a player do you think tom yeah absolutely i think you always need to improve and the best way to improve is asking questions especially if you're being left out but even when you're being successful there's going to be areas of your game where you're going to need to tighten up or if you're thinking I want to go to the next level or I want to break into the academy team or right what are the academy players better than me at what do I need to be better than them so what do I need to improve to get ahead of them to get into the academy or from the academy to the second team how do I break into that team what skill sets do they have and then it's always and then when you're in the first team or playing people now the analysis around sport in general everyone knows your strengths your weaknesses and they'll always target them Mm. so it's about then adapting and always being in a position that you're never sitting still and you're never not improving your like your skill set or your weaknesses so that you whatever position you do in whichever sport it is you're just continually getting better okay. and you're asking questions and you're not just doing the easy stuff that you find easy because you like it you're doing the hard yards and then for me that breeds the confidence in when you are out playing or when you are struggling that you know yeah I've been in hard positions before and I always come through it yeah definitely um on the just digressing away from that topic slightly on the previous episode of, of the podcast i'm not sure whether you listened to it or not peps but we were discussing biosecure bubbles and obviously recently you played for peshwar in the psl uh, i'm not going to try and pronounce the, the the second name there um uh, we're intrigued to know what your thoughts are um with regards to the bubbles we were very much a case of, and I can remember Twiggy saying, it's your mind, it's your brain. If you had a physical injury, you'd, you'd go, you'd, you'd look after it and we feel the same. Obviously, a lot of lads have struggled in those biosecure bubbles. Um, I mean, I'm not saying that you did. I mean, you might have loved it, but obviously somebody who's lived it and experienced it, we just wanted to know what it was like and what the reality of it is. Uh, so it's the Peshwara Zalmi as well. Just so if you ever need to say that again. Yeah, if I ever need to say um, that again, yeah. Yeah. Um, but for me, when you go into a bubble, you know, for one, you're going to a bubble. So when I was signing up to be draft, like potentially drafted or like in the competition, you're fully aware of what you're going to, what you're getting yourself into. Um, and I felt this year because there were so many similar bubble kind of stories and so much bubble from last summer in England that you like you already kind of expecting you everyone anyway in England is kind of bubbled up anyway when you're sat in your home at England and this was the way I saw it was everyone in England is sat inside not able to do anything everything's locked down whereas at least if I'm out in a hotel I'm playing cricket I'm allowed to do something that I really enjoy Mm. so 
that was the way I kind of actually, and I loved it out there um, because it was actually a lot more social because even though you're in a bubble, there was um, six teams. So about 90, a hundred players in a hotel, but you could mix between. So I was like, you'd sit and have dinner with different people um, in the hotel, or you could go to a different lake. So for that, it was actually brilliant because you're able to, like that was the most socializing I actually had done in such a long time because most of the time in England I've just been sat doing nothing like sat in your house in lockdown and Mm. then we were training at the ground and we were only allowed in groups of four and you didn't change the group of four so for the full winter I spent my time with four people and two coaches so actually to be able able to get out and see loads of different people and to be able to play cricket again was brilliant for me. And I think it is hard. And the good thing was the self-isolation over there. I think that's probably the toughest thing, but it was only three, three or five days in Pakistan. So, so it wasn't, whereas I know Australia was an absolute nightmare where you're two weeks in a hotel room. That to me, that to me is where you've got to then question your mental health and yeah. your how are you going to get because three days is you put on a couple Netflix episodes, play yeah, a bit yeah. of Call of Duty, play a bit of Call of Duty, ring a couple <laughs> friends, and you're through and you've done three days, whereas yeah. two weeks is a hell of a long time to be isolating in a hotel room. Yeah. Um course. and that to me is kind of probably the difference in the bubble. And hopefully with well hopefully covid is kind of easing down a bit and with all the vaccines and stuff that they're not actually around for too much longer but i think personally for me the like being able to play outweighed any isolating um and but i fully respect and fully understand how much it can take out of you and that it is quite a lonely place yeah yeah yeah, for sure. Pepsi, you have been absolutely brilliant, mate. Uh, we can't thank you um, enough for coming on to the podcast and talking to us. Um, I'm sure um, everybody will enjoy listening to this. The content's been absolutely fascinating. Um, so we're delighted. So obviously from myself and Twig, thank you for coming and speaking to us. I'm sure that you will probably now be off to have a nap. Um, <laughs> because when I take, yeah. I can remember... Did I tell you, Twig, that I texted him about, can you come on the podcast? And he says, he says, oh, text me. So I text him and he says, oh, sorry, I've just been, he replied about four hours later, say, sorry, I've just been having a nap. Got to get my 20 hours sleep in a day. <laughs> Some <laughs> things never fresh. change. <laughs> yeah. yeah no. So he stays mentally fresh and mentally positive. Um, but yeah. no, just thank you from us, mate. Uh, we really appreciate it. No, thank you very much for having me. That's not a problem. Um, to all the listeners, uh, thank you for listening um, and hopefully we'll have another guest on soon and we may even see the return of our founder, Callum Lee, now that his exams and uni stuff is finished. So he may uh, come back onto the podcast to catch up with us to see how he is. But that's all from us for today, folks. So I hope you enjoyed the podcast and we'll catch you all soon. Thank you. Cheers.